seen a lot of uh, Scottish football on television uh, back in Holland. And uh, of course, uh, you see a fantastic uh, arena here. So, I mean, it was, it was uh, interesting to come to uh, Scotland and uh, play for Celtic. Hello and welcome to the By the Celtic podcast, the daily By the Celtic podcast. My name is Lauren Stronigan. And I'm joined today, as I'm joined every day, by my good pal, no S, Mr. Ren McSwain. How are you doing, Ren? I'm good, Lawrence. How are you? Uh, what's happening in your coronavirus isolation? I've not even been out for my exercise yet. I can't wait for this to finish, and I'm going to uh, like a... roam the streets for 20 minutes. Uh, no, is it, are, are you going out for a walk or something? Is there many people out? Uh, Can you look out the window? I looked out the window earlier. It was hardly empty. It's dead and this chart the streets are full of cars which suggests most of the people haven't gone to work today uh, as instructed the uh over here in northern california they've shut all the beaches uh it's unbelievable the weekend wasn't out but uh apparently there was queues of cars going to the beaches and all that it's just insane stuff uh, in fact there's a little town called Bellinos, uh where a couple of well francis mcdermott you know the movie star? She lives there with her husband. Yeah, you mean Francis McDormand? McDormand, that's it. I can't even my pronunciation skills. Anyway, the, the, the residents of Bellinus, there's one road in and out of Bellinus, and the residents were there blocking the road for all these effing idiots driving over to mingle on the beaches. Uh, anyway, the governor has shut down, or the state, or somebody shut down all the beaches, shut down all the parks. Anyway, that's enough. Uh, that's a scene from Northern California and Glasgow. Our guest uh, today, we've decided, Remy, to go professional. Uh, a proper, proper f- football journalist uh, and somebody who actually knows something about the game, unlike us. Uh, Kieran Canning. How you doing, Kieran? Not bad. I'm, I'm not sure I'll live up to that intro, but uh. I'll, I'll give it my best. Here, uh, Kieran, you are the, uh, I suppose you should, should explain... Um, I'm a guy, I don't know. you're a Celtic fan, I'm guessing, um, and you are the football correspondent for uh, AFP, Agent Fresse, was it Agent France Press? Agent France Press. You can use this quarantine in time to, to uh, practice your French there, Lawrence. Yeah, get the Duolingo app back in there for, uh, once and get practicing. Actually, are you, you must be, are you bilingual, Kieran? Yeah, but uh, well, I speak a little bit of French, but um, I'm much stronger at Spanish because I was uh, based out in Spain for uh, for about six years. So uh, I can I can do enough. Fr- I know I can do enough French to sort of read read the the constant emails I get. But if I was in a an in depth conversation, I'd be struggling. I think. Uh, you were in Spain for six years. What uh, freelancing, or were you working for somebody over there? Yeah, well, I started off. I was I was freelancing, um, and then actually I joined AFB. Whilst I was out there, um, so I was their correspondent in Spain for uh, for a few years, and then uh, moved over back well, back in the UK now. Uh, normally based in, in London, although thankfully I live a little bit outside, so uh, I have a bit, a bit of green green space that I can escape to at the moment. But um, but yeah, there like in terms of the, the football writing, um, I've been a, a freelancer myself in the past, so. I know, uh, I know what a lot of the guys are, are going through at the moment. Right, see, where were you in Spain? Uh, Madrid. All right, and uh, again, I guess a lot of our listeners will come on. To, uh, we got you on because we wanted to kind of know about what's happening with football writers. But a lot of the listeners would be listening to this and going, "Oh man, alive! What a job that is!" Uh, so, did you just up sticks and move to Spain and start filing stuff? I mean, how, how do you get a job like this brilliant job that you've got? Um, well, the, the Spanish bit uh, helped me out quite a bit. I'd, I'd done Spanish at uni, um, so I did a, a year abroad, so I had a bit of that in the background. And then when I did, because um, law is my degree, but um, then I had a postgrad in, in journalism. And when you're starting out, you uh, you kind of just have to do a lot of work for free, really, and, and do placements and stuff like that. And then I found out that um, using my my Spanish was the the way to to get a foot in, really. So, um, I was working for PA, just freelancing for uh, PA, the Press Association, at that point. Um, and then they were looking for someone to do their their um, their Spanish football stuff. So, uh, so uh, I ended up going out, just sort of going out there to as a flyer for six months to see see how it went. And 
thankfully I got sort of more freelance stuff in, on top of that and uh, yeah then eventually got the, the AFP job so yeah it was just a bit of uh, trying it out and see see how it went and thankfully thankfully it went it went well so uh, I was I think it was, I was very lucky at the time I went out as well because um, when I went out it was the final season of uh, Guardiola being at Barca and Mourinho being at, uh, at Real Madrid so there was a huge amount of interest in Spanish football at that point um, and then yeah I just sort of continuously continuously grew for the, for the next few years and then I came back um, just about two years ago now so here, what was it that final year of Mourinho and Guard, was it just mental, Mourinho and Guardiola? Yeah, that that, that was the sorry, sorry, yeah, it was Guardiola's final year. It was um, All right. it was Mourinho's, Mourinho's second. It was the year that Mourinho actually won the league with with Real Madrid. Um, but yeah, it was, it was great. I mean, it was great theatre in the the press conference room as, as much as it was uh, on the pitch. And then the real sort of meltdown came the following year because by September Mourinho had. Uh, Completely fallen out with the whole team that had won the league for him the year before. I like him. I take it. I take it when Real Madrid won the league, you sent a get it right up. You text to Graham Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh... the, 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 thing, the thing with being in Madrid at the time I was, uh, the other lucky factor was that the first game I recovered was uh, Simeone's first home game as a Let's Go manager. Um, so you had all the sort of Atletico story then, which I, which I wasn't anticipating when when it went out. So, uh, so no, that was it was all an added bonus as well. Hey, here, Rem's got a question. And since you've covered a bit of uh, Atletico, Rem. Oh well, it, it's <laughs> breaking. I'm starting to sound like Stuart Braithwaite here with talent. But um, the um, breaking news just before we come on from the Daily Star Twitter feed was that. Uh, Rangers are bracing themselves for a bid for uh, Alfredo Morelos. I think this is the 137th bid from Alfredo Morelos. From, believe it or not, Atletico Madrid. Come on, Nukian. That just cannot be true. Well, you know, Jean Felix is uh, quickening his boots. <laughs> well, that is, isn't he? Yeah. The, uh, it's bit, uh, lucky it's cut price. He's only 10 to 15 million now. See that kind of stuff, Kieran. Where does that kind of can you just explain to our listeners? Where does that kind of stuff come from? Again, I'm, I'm I'm sure there's there's not anybody in the Daily Star up just sitting there making stuff up like that. So where does that kind of stuff come from? Well, really, sort of uh, speculative for for being generous stuff like that. A lot, I mean, a lot of it is rumours that get passed around from country to country. That I've found being in Spain that you know, like you would find. Uh, Spanish outlets, you know, would, would report random rumours from English press and then the English press would pick up and, oh, Marca, say this or, or whatever. But, um, I mean, a lot of, when, for more serious stuff, I think a lot of it comes from, from agents that are that are trying to get their players a move, trying to talk their players up in, in the media. So uh, if they can get their, their name out there and linked with, with certain clubs, even if they know that, it's it's nonsense, you know. It could inflate the the player's transfer fee or his wages, or um, if he's looking for a new contract, which is which is often one. You know, agents put stuff out there that their players looking to move, and there's interest to try and get a better contract from from the club they're they're currently at. So, I mean, that that's where some of the more uh, speculative stuff comes from, um, especially at this time. I was speaking to someone the other day about how try don't take license of pretty much any transfer rumour at the moment because no one knows what sort of football we're going to come back to, no one knows uh, when we're going to start again, what the budgets are going to be. I think we're probably going to see a massive deflation in terms of transfer fees and, and wages because the clubs just aren't going to have the money and the the income streams from the basically the three major income streams are, are gate receipts which are obviously all off at the moment uh, TV money which we'll wait and see in terms of what happens with that. Um, I mean, for example, if, if the clubs have to end up giving money back to TV companies if the seasons can't be completed. And commercial, which hasn't really been talked about so much so far, but I think it's going to be a big factor going forward. If you look at a lot of the major sponsors are things like airlines, betting companies, 
um, lower down the scale local businesses. I mean, these these kind of companies aren't going to have the money to either to, to honour the sponsorship agreements they've got at the moment or to renew them going forward. So um, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be following any transfer rumours at the moment. Here, uh, so uh, uh, the other one I read today, just slightly diverting from our why we got you on, but anyway, uh, Odson Edward to Arsenal. So we 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 didn't lose any sleep over that one either. Then no, man. As I say, like wait until we know um, what what's what the football land what the world landscape is going to look like in a, a couple of months' time. Because um, I think even quite rightly, there's been a lot of focus on lower league clubs will be going out of business, but. Even your very biggest clubs, um, Celtic are actually a bit of a uh, exception to the rule here in terms of the money they've got lying in, in the bank and, and their cash position. But even the biggest Premier League clubs, um, you know, there's even talk of Barcelona players having to take wage cuts because they don't have uh, millions in cash lying in the bank to fulfil those those wage agreements. So I would be surprised if anyone any club is throwing around big money in the transfer market if and when we get a transfer market you know because if the season if they do try and finish the season no matter when that is then do you do you do you stop the transfer market happening at its normal time and then say have it in september or october you know it's all up in the air at the moment no one really knows what's what's going to happen so so we had the pre-coronavirus world and then this thing hit. I suppose a good question is, uh, what kind of impact has it had on you, on what you do? And then we can maybe broaden out what's that? I mean, because I saw Philip McClare, who's uh, the guy at the Football Writers Association in London, I mean, basically lobbying hard, or the Football Writers Association in London, lobbying hard for football freelancers. I mean, they are absolutely screwed. But uh, firstly, the... Uh, you, What's what are you writing about now? I, I know you do. You, what are you going to be writing about for the next two or three months? I know this is a good question. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm very fortunate in the sense that because my job's salaried. Um, I'm not I'm not in as as precarious situation as what my friends are in terms of the uh, the freelancers. I mean, on what I'm doing, uh, you're just kind of looking for as many human interest stories at the moment in terms of how. Um, how things are developing. So, um, with like AFP, we've done things like uh, looking at the the community impacts that that different clubs are making. Um, for something I was working on today is them uh, foreign players that might be isolated. They they they're far away from home. They can't get home, or maybe don't don't want to return home because maybe the the healthcare system in the country they're, they're from won't be as as good as in certain places in in Europe. Um, and they are, you know, completely isolated from families, worried about their families back home. Um, so you look to for angles like that. But you're right; I mean, those things run out very quickly. I, I felt that last week <clears throat> we had uh, we had quite a few ideas and managed to rattle off, you know, through quite a lot of stories. Whereas even just into week two, <laughs> it's already it's already drying up, and you know, you're looking at having three, four months of this. Yeah, um, you should try and do a podcast every night, Kieran. <laughs> 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 the uh, so that's interesting. You know, so some guys, some players would had the option of going home, but and they just don't want it because the the kind of judge that the healthcare system back home isn't. I mean, it's you, you don't kind of think of that stuff because I, I think Celtic have sent a few players home, or you know, a few players have gone home. You, you, you can never, yeah. Um, and yeah, and obviously uh, Rangers were allowed their um, their foreign players to go. Let's be. I think they even said in their statement that some of some of the their guys had. Had chosen to remain, uh, remain in Glasgow. So, yeah, so it's a, it's a personal decision. And then you've also got like just speaking to a few people today, but it's like the the complications of even even getting home if they if they wanted to. You know, if you know the if you're going to certain places in South America, or whatever, which are complete lockdown, and you had to fly through the states to get there, and so there's all sort of manner of. Uh, Minor complications, but yeah, it's just another example of, of completely unprecedented times we're living in. Here, uh, you, you mentioned Rangers. There, I saw Rem. I saw a, a Gary McAllister interview today. He was saying they'd sent the players home with their GPS fitness trackers. I was just thinking, Morelos has probably fitted his to his dog and sent it out the backyard. 
<laughs> get some <laughs> kilometres in for him. He maybe uh, maybe get a private detective to fit his. Aye. <laughs> the uh, so, so actually, the ideas thing again is again first world problems, Kieran. But I, I was looking. I'm a, a subscriber to Athletic, and I was reading. It was a good piece, but I've read it about ten times. Danny Taylor was did a thing about my, my life with Alex Ferguson. What I didn't know, and I worked at the Guardian with Danny at the time that he'd been he was banned for like for five years. Imagine trying to cover a football team and being banned from the the manager's press conferences. I mean, there's a certain clubs in Glasgow that are quite good at imposing them as well. Well, Celtic as well. I think Keith, Keith, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, here, uh, have you ever been? Have you ever been banned, Kieran? I'm not. Any, no, no. I've probably, probably not. Like? I've probably not been. Never been notorious enough to get banned. But is there any, any of you think? I, I don't really like you. It's all right. You can name names because nobody listens to. Oh, no, I mean, I've already mentioned them. Like I've now covered Mourinho across three clubs in two different countries, and uh, he never gets any more pleasant. <laughs> does he? Uh, does he? Uh, does he ban people? Um, not, not the same. It's a, I think when he was at Madrid, there was certainly um, there was one particular case where he uh, he pulled the guy into the, to a separate room, and he and the the press officer went went through him, and I think he was maybe shunned for a, for a few months. But now I've not I've not been aware of him banning anyone since since he came back to England when he was at, at United or or now at Tottenham. He tried to do the uh, the happy go lucky Jose for I think about two weeks at at Tottenham, and then that quickly. Uh, Although he's probably the uh, the happiest man about this situation because ever ever since he got there he's been talking about how much he can't wait for the season to be over. <laughs> now it's now it's happened three months three months earlier than it should have. Yeah, you, what's, what's the um, sorry? What's the what's the feeling in England about when they're going? To, I mean, I know they've said April the thirtieth. What what's the feeling in England about when they're going to start up again? Really? I mean, certainly later than than April the thirtieth. I think. <laughs> This, I was about to say realistically. I don't know if this is even realistic to say to say June. Um, the the idea that I know um, the rugby guys have mentioned this the past few days. The idea that they seem to be peddling at the moment is that if they could get games on behind closed doors at one one or two venues, so you, you're not having camera crews going to ten different home stadiums. You know, you, you have them set up there for a period of weeks. Um, and play one or two games a day behind closed doors at the same venue. That means that you've got fewer people in the stadium in terms of security, TV. The problem with that is that you would presumably have to have some sort of medical um, expertise on on site as well. Um, but even for that, you're you're looking at the June. So um, I think the the thing that they are consistently stressing is that they they're they're saying they want to finish the season and. Um, we've been over that before, but it's, it's because of all the, the the finances of it all are, are bad enough as it is. But then, if you have to start giving money back to TV companies and to, possibly to season ticket holders, because um, there was even another story I was working on today that, that Brighton um, have done a basically they've already done their season ticket renewals, but they're giving the, their fans a three month break from from paying any instalments on it, and in that. In that statement, they say that if they can't play their the remaining home games from this season, that that money will be paid back pro rata to to fans. So clubs are already kind of recognising that if they if they don't get those games in, then they're going to be in an even worse financial position than um, than if they just go on with the, the new season. Yeah, because I read I read the Swiss Ramble uh, Twitter thread today, and uh, his take on it was. As you say, they want to finish the league, and the main reason is the is the money, because his his calculations was that if they don't finish the EPL, they'll have to hand back seven hundred and fifty million in TV oh, money. Oh my god! And, and you can see that. I mean, it's a league that's built in sand. I mean, the Scottish teams are all struggling, but the TV money wouldn't take Scottish teams down. I wouldn't think because forty three percent of the revenues are, are gate money. It's a lack of people at the gate that's killing Scottish people, uh, Scottish teams just now. But uh, yeah, seven hundred and fifty million, and that's before you get into the European money. Seven hundred and fifty million they need to hand back. I mean, you, you take a team like Bournemouth, which has got a team a turnover over a hundred million. Their average, their crowd capacity, I think, is twelve thousand. 
So no TV money. They're gone. Um, <laughs> sorry, Kieran. I just um, can I just double back just quickly because I did want to mention that the, you know the plight of football freelancers. They are absolute because they basically it's a hand to mouth existence. You know, you go to a game, you'll write a whatever. You know, take a guy. I'm, I don't. You know, the guy like Jonathan Wilson say, I'm sure uh, he's okay. Um, but there are a bunch of guys. I mean, they are because they've got no games to write about. Uh, and you know, all the media organisations. I saw today that the Herald or Newsquest, who owns the Herald, are cutting back. Uh, these guys, it's, it's, it's troubling times for these guys, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's desperate. I say, like some of my my uh, my best mates in in that situation, and that it's not not even the. I mean, the losing the the league games and Champions League games and stuff like that's bad enough. But I've got mates that were had work lined up for the Euros, for the Olympics, wow. um, and that's all up in the air now. Um, and especially given the the government situation at the moment, I mean, they've sort of acted for for salaried workers, but there's been nothing um, concrete yet for for self-employed people. So um, yeah, it's a absolutely desperate situation um, and a lot of them are it's not, not completely the case but I mean a lot of them are, are young guys as well so um, it's not like they've got masses of savings or whatever that they can they can fall back on so um, but yeah that's a terrible situation but I think that's a, the plight that a lot of people are going to have across uh, across society at the moment you know that um, and particularly the, let's say the, the the self-employed, you know, all these um, the not the not zero contracts that's the word I'm looking for, but the guys, the guys that do their the deliveries, gig economy, that's what I'm looking for. Um, all that's just sort of all that's gone gone out the window. So, um, and uh, yeah, the, the football Writers association have been because I'm on the the email chain for that. But I mean, they they are doing all that they can, but until government moves on it, then you know, there's there's only so much that they can do. What are your mates going to do? <laughs> I mean, I've spoken to them, but the, yeah, they don't know. Basically, they're kind of waiting. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the, the ones that are freelance um, are out in Spain, so um, they've, they've been in you know, the, the terms of the lockdown and stuff like that. They're a, a few weeks <clears throat> ahead of the situation that, that we are, but yeah, they're looking at maybe if. If and when the lockdown's lifted, you know, do they, they come back home and um, stay with their parents and stuff like that for for a few months until it until it ties itself over? But um, I mean, unless you've got got savings to, to rely on or family support, you know, you've got the, their mum and dad to fall back on whatever. Then you know that's this a really um, perilous situation that, that they're in and. Um, I'm, I'm I say like I'm very lucky that I'm, I'm salaried, but I, I could have gone down. There's plenty of times where I could have gone down that um, that route, and there's there's times when that seems a, a more lucrative thing to do because you you could potentially get paid more per day by freelancing than than being a, a salaried journalist because it's not the it's not the the best paid uh, well certainly not best paid compared to what it what it used to be. So um, so I've been tempted to do that myself in the, in the past and just. I think the lucky stars at the moment that uh, that I didn't because you'd be you'd be really struggling. Uh, again, I, I, I qualify all this. I mean, I get it's first world problems, but we are a football podcast, so I just thought it'd be an area that people might be interested in. Uh, again, not the most important thing in the world, but you know these guys are and girls are really really toiling. Here, you're in the scene down there uh, in the big London tune. Uh, what do you think the EPL? What's your gut feeling of what the English Premier League will do? And also, what do you think they'll do in Spain? It seems a pretty easy decision in England, but Spain—that's a tricky one. Yeah, I still think that they'll they'll try and finish the season, even if it means doing it in September, August, September, October. You know, to get get those games done and then start again almost straight away. Without almost, uh, <coughs> did an interview with them. Um, Glenn Murray, who was uh, at Brighton last week, and um, he was saying that you know they're some their guys are, are thinking of this is almost like their pre-season or their off-season downtime now, and um, get their get their rest in because they reckon that they might come back and then go finish the season straight into the new season, because um, that that gets over that TV money issue that we've, we've talked about, um, 
and it avoids you know, the the complications in terms of lawsuits and all that kind of stuff. I mean, people think it's an easy one in England because Liverpool are so far clear at the top of the league, but it's not. It's not even. It's not that that decision that's the difficult one. It's who goes down, who qualifies for European competition. Um, you mentioned the uh, what happens in Spain. One of the biggest things I could see uh, being problematic in in Spain is when we mentioned Atletico earlier on. They're massively dependent on on income from from European competition, um, well, from Champions League money, basically. And uh, they're sixth in La Liga at the moment. Now, normally they've still got plenty of time to make that up. They're only one or two points behind. But if you if you call the season now, then and they don't qualify for the Champions League, you know they're going to take that to court. You would imagine. So I think the only way around it is to is to finish it, no matter when that is. And then if if that means curtailing the next season, so that would probably mean take out at least the League Cup. Um, Maybe find some way to to slim down the league to maybe only play each other once or something like that. something like that seems at least fairer. And that when you're starting the season, you know that you know the the way the the season's going to go, rather than just cutting this one short and saying it's over at 29 games or whatever as we're at at the moment. The uh, but where does the the UEFA competitions fit into that matrix? If you're saying England, Spain, Scotland, we go to August, September, October to finish this season, where does UEFA fit into that? Well, because they want, but they'll also have to finish their own competition. So they've they've got the same complication. Okay. They can't they can't go into next season Champions League without finishing this one. So uh, and again for the same the same reason. I mean. There's a lot of criticism of UEFA, and I, I would, I would, be, I'm very critical of the way they dealt with the not cancelling the the last 16 games when it was becoming obvious that, that this was an issue and was was not going to get any better. Like the, for example, I was at the like the Liverpool Atletico game, and um, that to me, even at the time, um, seemed like madness that La Liga teams had already been told they were going to be playing behind closed doors for the next two weeks at least. And yet you had three thousand Atletico fans in a stadium with fifty thousand, and it's not just the uh, being in the stadium. I was because I was coming from London. I was up and down in the train, and loads of Atletico fans had, had flown into London, um, and so they were you know you're travelling on on the train with um, with these guys, and so I would I agree with the criticism on that. And not like since that's all. That's all happened. Um, at least I think they've moved a bit in terms of sacrificing the Euros. Um, they're suggesting they're going to they're going to play the rest of the Champions League as one-legged. Um, so they're sacrificing some games there um, to try and try and force it through. But even in their statement last week after the the meeting, they said there was a bit in it that said that if the seasons can be completed by June thirtieth, then they would they would move again in terms of the the date that they would take the the clubs qualifying for European competition for next season um, and again it might be that you have to slimline next season's Champions League Europa League you know, go to, to one-legged ties um, and then they'll maybe play, only play each other once in the groups you know, so there's, gonna, there's so much upheaval that, that people are going to have to make sacrifices um, but maybe it's better doing that as I say finishing this season and then starting the fresh next season when everyone knows uh, what they have to do and and know it's on an equal an equal footing. Can I ask you a question? Sorry, uh, just no. to butt in there, Lawrence. It's a burning issue, given it's a Celtic podcast. See, when you spoke to Glenn Murray, did you ask him if there was any truth in the rumour he was coming to us in January? I, I didn't know. That, that, that is the pass me by. Call yourself a Celtic man. Come I on, that's what, that's what we need to know. <laughs> As, as I told you, the transfer market might be maybe talk about null and void. Transfer market might not happen. So. Oh, that is true. <laughs> I, actually, we've kind of touched briefly on this in our uh, fairly ignorant way. Are we looking at massive deflation in the transfer markets? And you know, how much is Paul Pogba's price going to drop? Oh, exactly. I don't see how it's possible that um, simply because the clubs aren't going to. Aren't going to have the money, you know. Like even as I said at the start, the, the, about Barcelona possibly taking wage cuts. You know, even your your Barcelona's, Real Madrid's, um, Man United's, they've got yes, they've got. People think of them as having 
huge amounts of money, but that money comes from the huge income they've got. They're not they've not got huge amounts of cash lying in the bank. So unless um you know the banks are very generous with them and give them huge huge loan facilities, they're not going to have the access to that to that money to to spend on even on honouring the wage bills that they have at the moment, never mind you know spending hundreds of millions on transfers and and continuing paying out three hundred grand a week to players. So, um, so yeah, I, mean, I would I would expect that there'll be a. I mean, there'll still there'll still be the disparity that there is at the moment in terms of you know how much Barcelona can spend compared to Celtic and then how much Celtic can spend compared to Saint Mirren or whatever. But I think it'll be at a a lower scale than than we've seen in the past. Certainly, that that rampant es- um, escalation and in inflation we've seen since the Neymar transfer uh, that should all be be curbed. I think. Um, did he it, make it back for his sister's birthday? Did this say a lot? I was going to say they they they've actually got a lot of the PSG guys have gone back to Brazil, but uh, I know that was a. He, he, after after insisting that he wasn't going to go back this year, he got he got there in the end. So. Uh, Oh, it's worth it for Neymar anyway. Yeah, maybe not for his sister, but everybody loves a happy ending. Here, uh, I guess uh, we should move on. This being a Celtic podcast, I don't want to keep you too long, Kieran. Uh, Celtic news, uh, <laughs> thin pickings. Uh, the only thing I saw, <laughs> uh, the only thing I saw, Ren, was uh, was a statement from the manager wishing everybody uh, good health and stay indoors. Uh, that was about it. Did you see anything? No, there's been. Again, the, 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 the one interesting snippet I saw on Twitter today was that uh, somebody was moaning about Celtic kind of hustling people for um, season ticket money. And uh, a guy tweeted and said, you know, surely in view of everything that's going on and people don't know if they've got a job tomorrow or whatever, they should be maybe looking at delaying the season ticket request. And uh, why hasn't it been done? And uh, John Paul Taylor, the fans liaison officer, uh, just uh, he he replied somewhat yet with the ellipsis after it. So I think we might get an announcement in the next couple of days. They're going to uh, unsurprisingly extend the May first deadline because a lot of people don't have the money to pay a season ticket right now, as Kieran pointed out earlier on with the Brighton example. I uh, I just wish there was a bit more. I don't know if you've got an opinion on this, Kieran. I'm starved of Celtic news. I just wish the club were a bit more proactive in in doing stuff. Uh, even if it's if it's through doing original stuff, even if it's through the club website, and then it could be picked up by the uh, the wider uh, media. Uh, I mean, today the story of the Bruni. That's what I mean. I mean, that was the offering. That was the offering on the website. I mean, to, to be fair, the Scottish media's offering today is it's the tenth anniversary of the St Mirren hammering that cost Mowbray his job. So I suppose they had to do a good news story somehow. Um, have you got any views on that, Kieran, or can, is it? Am I just being stupid? Well, one thing I thought they might do a bit more of is they could do their own player interviews. Yeah, you know, like phone them up or do it by like we are doing by Skype or Zoom or whatever. Um, and put, put stuff out just to kind of keep people occupied. I mean, one of the things I was going to mention when you talked about the journalism side of it and the Herald cutting jobs again and stuff is when when we go back to uh, what we think of as, as normality, what the, the media landscape will look like, because if it's been a, a really long layoff, then you could have um, plenty of papers even, even folding. So, um, and there's been long been a suspicion amongst the football writing community that um, clubs, and then this isn't, I'm not saying Celtic in particular here, but just generally that clubs aren't um, too upset by that because then it means that they can do more in-house, you know, they can control the message much more and they don't have to be given over players for, for press conferences, for, for round tables with, uh, with newspapers, you know, they can, they can do all that themselves. So given that now is a prime opportunity to do that, um, I'm a bit surprised that they, they haven't done that but as I say everyone's still very I know I know it seems like it's lasted a lifetime already but we're still in the very early days of this so I'm sure uh, people will get a, a handle on it as, as things go on 
Well, I mean, the opportunities for video. I mean, my video highlight of the last few days is Ryan Christie hitting that toilet roll in the little basketball hoop in the back of his door. It was brilliant. Can we, I mean, it's not rocket science. You know, stitch a few videos, get the players doing a few videos, stitch them together and put them out. Uh, it just seems, again, the story of the Bruni. Uh, do you remember the Bruni, Rem? Were you there? I was at the game. I was oh, at the game. I remember it vividly, yes. Hey. Uh, did, they, did they have El, El Haji Juf's uh, contribution to this? I never... <laughs> Do you know what? I, n- I never read it. I was so disgusted uh, by it. Um, so there's that. There's a Neil Lennon message, which is welcome. Uh, John, John Paul Taylor's brilliant, Rem, isn't he? Good guy. He is. He, uh, he, uh, he dug us out of a, a big hole last year when the uh, the idiot friend of mine forgot to take our tickets for Tyne Castle and uh, he, he managed to get us in. Um, but we, we had proof of purchase, etc. But he, you know, he did get us in at... Uh, in a real panic, Kyle Lennon's first game when Edward scored in the last minute. So uh, I know he's helpful to all sorts of supporters. He's a really good guy. Uh, here, uh, the other, only other, this is pathetic, Kieran, isn't it? I bet you to think, what am I doing now with these two wallopers? <laughs> here, the, uh, the, the other thing on the Celtic Twitter feed today was is this, it's been, somebody put me in the list and it's been, it just decimated my no, uh, my notifications. Yeah, you got to name your four heroes. Uh, so Celtic did uh, theirs. Uh, thanks. They got dominated by, uh, it was Real Betis, one of my favourite clubs. Real Betis, uh, uh, Kieran, should I like them? I love them. They're a club we used to support, shouldn't they? Uh, slightly slightly dodgy uh, political connections, fan base-wise. But, uh, oh, really? But it's uh, good colours, anyway. Oh, great colours. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. But I remember we just rolled into Seville one day and the game was on, so we went because they had green and white strips. But I, and they had remember that kid? You might be too young. Uh, Jarney, you remember Jarney? He was a yeah. Oh, what he a, signed for Coventry and then about three days later he signed for uh, Real Madrid. What a player he was! I kept at the time saying Celtic should sign this guy's Jarney. All right, so I I had it down, Kieran, that uh, Seville uh, that Seville were the kind of royalist establishment club, so and and Betis were the uh, were were the opposite. So, should you have uh, no, so they are they are Real Betis, so yeah. they're literally Royal Betis. Oh no! Clue <laughs> <laughs> Here, anyway, uh, the the other. Hey, the other one, the, the Celtic, uh, Real Betis asked him, and the other one was Zenit. I failed to see what the con- connection between Zenit and, and Celtic is. Anyway, uh, Celtic replied, uh, thanks, uh, we hope you and everyone in Spain, Russia are well and safe. Here are our four heroes, Jock Steen, Billy McNeil, Jimmy Johnson and Henrik Larsson. Celtic then go on to nominate St. Pauli, Club Santos, uh, Athletic, that's in Bilbao, and... Uh, and Ro- Rosenberg. Uh, so, uh, me being the host of this, I'll get mine out of the way very, very quickly. Uh, Kenny Dalgleish, uh, Billy McNeil, uh, who else did I write down? Paul McStay. Although, Rem, I was I was looking back today, well, this got me thinking, and I was looking back, the uh, Celtic Ajax 1982, um, the 2-2 game at Celtic Park, uh, who Celtic got a penalty? Charlie Nicholas scored. Who fouled? Who put the worst tackle in on Tommy Burns for the penalty? I, I know the answer to this. You should maybe ask Kieran. Kieran, who? Uh, I'll, I'll have no idea. Oh, is it way before? Anyway, listen. Go <laughs> on. Before my time. Before your time. Well, uh, go on on YouTube. There's about five different versions of the game on YouTube. It's brilliant. Anyway. Okay, Rem, who tackled, who put the thigh-high tackle into Tommy Burns for the penalty? It was a, it was a, a young young Dutch guy. I, 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 nobody's probably heard him. Some, somebody Cruyff. <laughs> Johan, I think. <laughs> Absolute shocker. Anyway, my four, Kenny Dalglish, uh, Billy McNeil, Paul McStay, and one non-Celtic was a guy called Rab Duffin. Rab Duffin, Kieran, was, um, was a midfielder very creative midfielder for Stirling Albion in the mid-1970s. When I was a kid, 
I, me and my pals would go to the Albion games every Saturday. And we actually go up to training. We trained on a Tuesday night and a Thursday night. And I just loved Rab Duffin. And I remember I was a kid, I don't know why, but Bob Shankly was the Albion manager at the time, Bill's brother. And just talking to Bob Shankly about Rab Duffin. Anyway, great player. And later in life, I used to play golf with him quite a lot. He used to work with my brother at AA Components in Cosby Head. So he was my genuine schoolboy hero. So that's my four. Uh, Rem, you can go. Give me your four. Right. Uh, I've got two Celtic players and two non-Celtic players. Uh, Kenny Dalglish uh, was my boyhood idol. Um, I don't mean I was his boyhood idol, he was mine. Oh, hang uh, on. Did I ever tell you the story about having pizza with Kenny Dalglish and Augusta? Oh, Have I told geez, you? Oh. Right, OK. I won't Clang. Oh, that, that, oh, sorry, my connection's dropping. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michelle Platini who I just thought was an unbelievable football player. Uh, Lubo Maravchik, ditto, ditto, and the last one is uh, Zinedine Zidane, who I just thought was amazing. Uh, did you ever have any dealings with Zidane in Spain, Kieran? You must have done. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, the full length of his first stint was uh, coincided with being there. But I, um, as a, as, as a, well, no, he was... Yeah, he was Perfectly fine. Um, as as a, a foreign reporter, he was a joy to deal with because his Spanish was it was good, but it wasn't you know obviously wasn't to, to a native's level you know so you could literally take down every word that he said as, as he said it for his when Rafa Benitez was there for six months to be transcribed in the press conference for the next three weeks he was there he'd rattle off but uh, no, Stan Stan was was good to deal with and he, he was pretty honest as well um, he. Uh, you know, when he when they hadn't played well, he would say they hadn't played well. You know, it wasn't one of these guys that would, uh, you know, you, some managers you speak to after the game, you think they've won 5-0 five, five and they've lost 5-0. So, uh, no, he was he was good to deal with. He would actually be one of mine. I was going to say that I would have Zidane and you have to have Messi in, I think, for the, the games that I've covered. Um, can can and my, I, hang on a sec. What's, what was Messi like to deal with as a journalist? Uh, uh, not Non-existent. He just doesn't do. Oh, does he not? Just doesn't do anything at all. Um, I think that the whole time I was in Spain, I think he did one press conference. Um, and that was, it was the day that uh, Barca were playing Bayern in the Champions League semi-final. And it was the day, it was uh, Pep was coming back. Pep was Bayern manager at that point. The Pep was coming back. And the, the, apparently the feeling in the, the Barcelona sort of media room was that they had to one-up Pep. So they put Messi out as the player in the press conference, which, you know, the first day, pretty much the first time he'd ever done this since he was about 19 or something. Um, but no, he doesn't, he doesn't, just doesn't, just doesn't do it. And he's got sort of the power to say, I'm, I'm not doing it. So no one, uh, no one challenges him to do it. So Zidane, Messi, keep going, sorry. Uh, Celtic ones, I've definitely got Larson. Uh, and I was thinking that it had to be someone else again from that O'Neill team. So I would, I would go Sutton because I, uh, just the sort of uh, the type of player he was, the fact that he played in all, all sorts of different positions. Um, that sort of that annual team was the the team of my uh, adolescence. So um, I go Larson, Sutton, uh, Zidane, and Messi. Uh, Sutton's uh, career is a it's, it's kind of surprised me. I, I, I had no idea he had the breadth, the you know, the intelligence, and the kind of just a sense of uh, fun uh, to to be a great pundit. Agreed? No? Anybody? In terms of the, the, the intelligent, he was one of those guys that he was he was an intelligent footballer. The, um, the, the way that I was saying how he could play, you know, centre-back, centre-mid at times when uh, when Neil tried to get all of he, he Hartson and Larson into the team. Um, but I know what you mean. There's, something, you know, there's plenty of examples of guys who are intelligent footballers, and doesn't it doesn't mean they're intelligent? Oh yeah, you know? he seems to have both. I, I I think he's absolutely brilliant. Uh, uh, anyway, here uh, the last uh, part is we come on to our usual uh, Espanol section. Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, Kieran, one of our recurring themes in this podcast is how they they, uh, they keep on wheeling out figures. We were wondering how low they could go. 
you know, f- figures to push the uh, uh, null and void narrative. Well, they've reached rock bottom today. What's we've got, Mister? What's the goalie, Dane? Uh, Mister Hugh Burns, <laughs> come out today. <laughs> uh, have you got uh, again? Just to ask you, uh, well, actually, like I ask everybody, uh, does this stuff bother you or, or not? As a Celtic fan, that uh, this narrative keeps getting pushed every single day. No, not at all. I, mean, I think because realistically, we know it's not going to happen. So you don't mind. <laughs> and, the, and, and the fact that the, the, the scale is going for them, you know, it's not as if they're big hitters to uh, to make the case. So uh, no, but, but largely passes me by. I have to say. Uh, right, so the only thing about the Hugh Burns one, Rem, was his uh, rattles on for a while, and then he goes, I think Gary Dicker, the Kilgamal, the guy, talked a lot of sense the other day. And then, so I looked up what Gary Dicker said the other day. Uh, We've had 30 games played, and it's difficult to avoid a league at this stage. I mean, if it was, you know, 10 games or a dozen games, it would be much different. So Hugh doesn't seem to get his uh, story uh, straight. Not the brightest boy in the world, though, is he? He certainly isn't. And if uh, if Andy's uh, needing a, another laugh, somebody, in fact, I'll find it after the podcast and retweet it. It's uh, Hugh Burns doing a QA outside Ibrox at the fan zone. It is. Oh, oh I saw it. I, I sent you. <laughs> Kieran, have you seen this? I, I will find it. It reminds me of Rem. It reminds me of Lloyd Cole and the commotions playing the first ever South by Southwest festival in Austin, Texas. So it was pure Spinal Tap. The your 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 last on stage, boys. It's going to be brilliant. So there's going to be twenty five thousand people there. We went on stage at two a.m. in the morning, and there was two guys there basically. Uh, the Hugh Burns thing is. Absolutely phenomenal. So we'll tweet that out. It's really funny, Kieran. Um the other thing I, I noticed, uh found it already. It's I'm going to send it out to you oh, now. Oh, it's it's classic. Uh fantastic. Here the only other thing I saw, did you see anything else, Rem? Uh well my, my old pal uh, Johnny Ball, I mean uh, Johnny McFarlane, uh with his latest uh, think of a a number, his latest number today is five. And it's the five players from the SPFL that the Mighty Jers should sign All right. to make them into a, a championship uh, winning team next year. And have who have we got? Seen it? I, I did. Got uh, it? What, uh, what the names? I wrote them down somewhere. I've got them. Oh, well, uh, I, I'll, 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 do you want me to give you them in order of hilarity? Because a, a couple of them are half decent. Yeah, go on then. Right. From Aberdeen. Right, yeah. right, 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 go. On you go. Lewis, Lewis Ferguson from Aberdeen. Yeah. Who they released as a kid and they probably couldn't afford to buy him back. Uh, the second one is Aaron Hickey from Hearts, who is Celtic daft. And I would, and I don't think he's, I, I believe he's a very intelligent boy, so I can't see him signing for them. The third one is Lawrence Shankland. The fourth one is my favourite Haddy, Lyndon Dykes. And the fifth one, unbelievably, is Scott Allen. So I mean, it's like, how, how did any, any of these guys transform them into a title winning team? Here, uh, any of those five, Kieran, that you think Celtic might have a look at? Or should have a look at? <laughs> the only one I think is, is Hickey, but even I would say it would be a couple of years off yet in terms of. Uh, well, we don't know what Hart's situation is going to be, but you know, given his age, he's the one that you still think's got a lot of potential to improve, and it's a position that Celtic could be looking for again in terms of a left back. So that would be the only one that I would think of out of that five. Uh, that's that's what I thought. Although there was talk early in the season, Man City. I mean, would Man City look at a kid like that? I know they've got this. Well, they might, but they'd loan him straight out. I mean, if they they bought him, they'd loan him straight back. Uh, well, you know, he, he's not going to get a Man City team. No, of course soon. not. But but isn't their system, Kieran, just to hoover up as many players as they can, develop them? Uh, you know, if you buy a one million pound player or a five hundred grand player, hoover them up, and then sell them three or four years later for three, four, five million. That, that he would yeah. fall, he'd fall into that category for them, wouldn't he? The, the, the only thing on that is that again, we don't know how everything that's happened is going to change these things. But uh, FIFA were bringing in quite. Um, far more stringent rules on how many loan players you can have. 
and teams like City and Chelsea, especially to target teams like City and Chelsea doing that, where they, they buy up these guys, loan them all out, inflate their transfer fee value and then and then sell them on. So that the days of that um might be gone now. I think there's going to be thinking some like six or seven um total players you can have out on loan and um much more stringent re- uh, controls on stuff like so for, for example Chelsea used Vitesse Arnhem and sort of park a whole number of guys there. Um that you can only you can only have so I, I think it was maximum of two or three uh players on loan from at the same club. So um that I mean that's certainly been the idea that, that City have used for a long time, but whether they're gonna be allowed to do that in the future sort of remains to be seen. And what just while you're on the subject, I forgot you. I mean, it's Chelsea, one obviously one of the main clubs you cover. But what's the deal with Billy Gilmore then? How far can he go? I know I've just Remy hates it, but I'm interested in the Scottish national team. I, I mean, everyone that speaks about him, I mean, Lampard's raved about him all season, even before he, he put him in the last couple of games. And I know it's only two games, so you got to. I think that it doesn't help sometimes when there's that much hype. Um, but certainly, I mean, the, the the caliber of opposition he was playing when when he was playing against Liverpool, um, he was playing against Fabinho, and you you look at him and you think he's he's like the the wee brother playing against the the big brothers. You know, in terms of the the size difference, you think he's going to be really easily outmuscled. But now, he, he, one, he's got that technique that allows him to. Um, to overcome that, and also he wasn't even for a guy who's not the biggest, he wasn't afraid to get to get stuck in. So um, again, we'll wait and see whether he makes a career of it at Chelsea or not. But um, I think again, coming back to what we've been talking about, the deflation of the transfer market and stuff like that. I mean, that can only be good for a guy like him and all these young guys that Chelsea have brought through. That if there's not, if there's going to be a a period of a few years whilst we get back to normality of, of big clubs, not. You know, just trying to sign the the next best thing of Spain or France or Germany, um, it's going to give him a, a better chance to to establish himself. I'm certainly uh, happier to be doing it at Chelsea than uh, <laughs> across the city. Here, speaking of which, one one final thing is uh, my good pal, good friend, Mister Michael Beale, put a really good piece today on his website. Uh, don't laugh at me, Rem, about. Uh, the coaches that inspire me during this period of isolation and no football to coach or watch, it's a great time to reflect on the people that influence your coaching. Anyway, I just mentioned that. Uh, because have any, some... of them, have any of them have any of them ever coached a team to beat Hamilton Ackies at home? Well, that's uh, that's another point for another day. But uh, some really good links he puts up with some really good stuff. Uh, certainly on the Cruyff stuff is fantastic. Um, Kieran, I... I, again, it's a stupid question, but it's the last one. Uh, what do you think we're going to do in Scotland? What, what would, if you had to, if you had to make a prediction? I know it's stupid, but here we go. What do you think is going to happen? Uh, in contrary to what um, we're saying about the other big leagues, as we've said, because the TV money isn't isn't so great, I, I think Scotland's in a, almost like a unique, unique position where they can end the season and do the two up, no relegation. I think that gets around a lot of the. The issues, uh, you know, you're not going to have legal cases from Harps or whoever else is, is forced down, um, and then even, I mean, you could even remain at that structure if you wanted to with 14 teams, because even for the the next season, you could play if you have 14 teams, you you do the split at halfway, and then play each other twice, and then that gives you your your 38 games. So, um, I, I would I would suspect that this way Scottish League will go is that you know. Two up all through the leagues, and and no relegation. And in conjunction with uh, just calling it because it's just too much of a. Yeah, yeah, and because I mean, again, there would be certain payback. I imagine to, to TV, but again, Scotland might be in a a, dec- a better position in the sense that um, one of the things I heard you talking about Doncaster's uh, interview on the the Price of Football podcast, but one of the things that he was pointing out in that. Um, was that how there are actually going to be fewer games on TV under this new Sky deal? That's right. Yeah. So yeah. maybe maybe you give Sky some of the games they miss out on towards until the end of this season. You just give them those for free to bulk up um, the, the upcoming TV package, and that means you don't have to pay them money back. There's also be money due to BT 
Um, but that might be one way of of minimising any damage of giving money back to TV. Here I looked it up because I thought we sounded very ignorant the other day. The decision was taken by the SPFL board. It's a six-person board. It's Alan Burrows, Les Gray, the Hamilton guy, Robertson from Rangers. Actually, a pal of mine sent me a text this morning saying he's actually a good guy. He was a goalkeeper for the Glasgow University football team back in the day. Uh, but the other three, get this, Remy, the Dunfermline chairman, the Alawa secretary, and the Brechin vice chairman. And that's a six-man board. That's just... Yeah, but it's because the SPFL now covers the four leagues. Oh, my goodness. I just Yeah, I was going to say, you, you would have to have representation from across the across the four leagues. Because if you had six, say, from the the Premiership, then, you know, they could they could be voting through things that give greater, you know, revenue distribution just to the Premiership or stuff like that. It's, it's a way of, of making sure that the four leagues are looked after and not just the top flight. Uh, yeah, but... Uh, Lawrence, obviously, um, you'll have emailed Lawwell and his Hotmail account. Oh, that's and, you know, now, that, now that you've nobbled uh, Alan Burrows, so that one's in the bag. That vote. The uh, actually, uh, Rev, wait, wait, you know who's got a hot? Kieran's got a Hotmail account. Can you believe that? Oh, <laughs> I, I did. I did have to put that into him earlier on this afternoon. I was like, oh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not taking the piss here. It is a Hotmail account. So what? What is it like living in 1999? Must be funny. <laughs> He's going to chat to his mates in MSN and Bebo later on. Oh, don't laugh. I, uh, the, 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 well, I'm not I, but Maggie knows the people who founded Bebo. They sold it for 850 million and then bought it back for a million. I mean, it's just mental. Anyway, on that bombshell, on that Silicon Valley bombshell, uh, Kieran. Uh, good to talk to you, pal. Maybe we'll get you, you know, in in week twelve when you've really got nothing else to do. You can, you can, you can come back on. Uh, good to talk to you, pal. Talk to you again soon, hopefully. And you guys, thanks for having me on. Cheers, bye. Cheers.